Sex is the life force energy that runs through us all. The link between sex, creativity, and the sense of aliveness is strong. Can you use sexual energy for your spiritual evolution? Or perhaps for emotional healing? Is it even possible? Clinical sexologist Dr. Martha Tara Lee will explore all these and more on the Eros Evolution Show here on Ohm Times Radio and TV. And hello, hello, and hello. welcome to Eros Evolution. This is where we talk about sex and spirituality. So today's uh, title is uh, Female Sexuality Without Shame. And uh, I'm coming together today with my friend uh, and a spiritual guide, Janet Chung. <laughs> my pronunciation. Wrong? <laughs> I'm so sorry, yeah. I forgot. It's all right. <laughs> uh, on, yeah, so we do, we're talking about the false ideas uh, shown and taught to us about sexuality, relationships, and gender roles as women. So both of us identify as cisgender heterosexual women. Um, but we hope, you know, whatever we'll be discussing will resonate with you, bring up uh, some of the taboos around uh, divorce and dating. How do we move past from our past? Uh, and how can we evolve as people? Um, basically, uh, bury some of the things that doesn't serve us. Bury, kill, repress, suppress, <laughs> get rid of, I don't know. Okay, so uh, Janet is the creator behind the Self-Love Oracle. It's a 44 deck and a book set for healing and self-empowerment featuring her writing and art. It's so beautiful. You, you need to check it out. Um, after her experiences with motherhood, divorce, a Tibetan Buddhism, healing, and the supernatural, so Janet actually supports people to heal through radical self-expression self and creative expression. So she worked on uh, she worked for the Eros guy when working in the US and has now started exploring the polyamory and king scene in Singapore. She holds a Bachelor of Arts in Journalism and is studying counseling psychology and currently freelances in publishing art and teaching. So you can uh, check out her website at Janet Chui. So that's Janet C H U I dot com. And you can find uh, Janet Chui Art on Facebook and Janet.Chui.Art on Instagram. So welcome, Janet. Thank you. That was perfect. That was everything. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm really glad to be here. But oh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I know I have a lot to say about the topic today, but I want to hear your side as well, because as you mentioned, we have quite a lot in common. And in some ways, I don't have this conversation um very often <laughs> you could say because um you know like if you find other people in singapore like willing to talk about this topic uh they still tend to be like very guarded which i can't say is a character trait i've i've had in my life but yeah yeah the topic of sexuality so maybe give a bit more background uh, besides the profile uh for instance you know like uh, I know you're a single mom who's divorced. Mm -hmm. So maybe you can tell, um, you know, like uh, listeners a little bit more about your personal life. Um, yeah, so exactly that. Um, it wasn't something I anticipated for myself because, it, you know, like I think for most of us when we go into to marriage, uh, we have 
we we want to follow into um I think what we saw in our parents' marriage, like if if they kind of got married, they stayed together, we expect that for ourselves as well. If they had a certain type of marriage, we expect that for ourselves as well. But for me, I I I feel as if I my my marriage was like a bit early and uh, I felt a lot of obligation to do it for various reasons. Um, and, you know, when, when you go into it, it's like, when you go through life, a lot of it is like you learn on the go, right? Nobody gives you, or rather even if there are textbooks out there on how to have a healthy marriage, sometimes you think you don't need it. So my marriage was such that um, it was definitely a learning experience. And I only had my ex- my my examples from my parents to go from, which I have to say, like, wasn't very helpful. So um, in many ways, like, wh- what happened was that I had my daughter and somehow pressures within the marriage were like, it was really hard to maintain after that. And not having the tools to fix it, um, even though we, we kind of tried, we even tried counselling. So that was really my first experience with counselling. Um, it it um it it's still headed towards divorce. So I've been divorced since uh 2015. But I have to say I was kind of grateful for that like second chance, even though I didn't take the second chance immediately, but that second chance of kind of like exploring the dating scene um and in a very in very different circumstances from when I first started. Like I, I was last single when I was uh in my early 20s. And then when I got divorced, I was like, I think in my late 30s. So it was a very different scene and I was a different person. Um, and of course, I needed to like still balance things with uh, being a single mom as well. But I just found it like I was actually kind of grateful to have that experience of um, dating again, being uh, single again. Like I, by the time I jumped back in, it was again like a new learning experience. And I think in many ways I was grateful because um, I was exploring in ways I didn't do the first time when I was in my 20s. Like in my 20s, I was still in a way grappling with a lot of the conditioning from either watching my my, my parents' marriage or uh, I don't know, peer pressure or whatever it is. I want to hear from I want to hear from your side as well, like what your experiences. Um, you know, in, in in dating and divorce are. Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, oh my goodness. Um, so I want to I want to say I do identify with the the struggle that you just mentioned about. Um, you know, we we kind of when we get, get get married, we close the door to our to certain aspects of ourselves. Um, there's this perception like as a married person there are certain things that you should never do uh, and I think when one of the things that happens when you get married is that you kind of stop saying yes to attractive men I think like you don't want to give off the wrong vibes and you also yeah. know that at the back of your head it's like you're not available for that so in some ways like we close ourselves off so to close that and then to um, then be single to feel like oh now the world is my oyster I can basically uh, date or go after whoever I want um, even though it sounds really exciting it can also be really scary because if you close the door for so long you don't really know how to open it up you don't really know how to interact with people in that way anymore and um, so I, I went through it twice because I was 
um, twice married and uh, both my husbands on the hindsight were really um, toxic and I would even say narcissistic. They were both psychologically abusive towards me. And I, I totally take responsibility for the fact that I was also not very healthy myself. Um, but I would uh, I would have to I would have to say that the second time round with my second marriage, I had learned so many things, but even then it was still not enough. Uh, so um talking about that, there was this uh kind of like culture shock that I kind of had to go through it's like i closed the door and now i'm like opening up again and i really don't know how to interact with people anymore and um so it is really scary as we go through transition and it's more tiring than people think it is so it's mm -hmm. so important to be gentle with ourselves to do things at a time and place that feels right for us but also that um we don't just become so comfortable with not doing anything or like uh, get caught up with this whole thing around, oh, I need to heal. I need to heal completely and fully. Um, and then just like really sit on it for so long, become like in Asia when actually it's fear uh, stopping us. So what what do you think about <laughs> what I just shared? <laughs> I, I connect with a lot of it um, because I, I feel like I, I, I experienced what you mentioned in that I also had that, I went through that phase of, Oh, I need to heal before I can date again. Um, which in a way I don't entirely disagree with. Like I believe we should heal a bit before we jump, you know, back into um dating. I mean, it's it because it can be quite crazy. You you do have a lot of ups and downs. And of course, nowadays, like we there, there's apps, but I remember somehow when I was starting out in and I was in my 20s. So this was around like the early, the early 2000s, like the noughties. Um, I, I somehow resolutely, stubbornly didn't want to use apps. I don't know why I was so adamant about it. So in a strange way, um, you know, you have to deal with these kind of like, during the healing process, I had to deal with these blocks with myself and actually ask myself the question, why did I, why did I, why was I so stubborn, you know, like 15 years ago? Why did I insist on doing things a certain way? So it again it kind of like hammered home i wasn't the same person anymore and this time i also was a bit more open and willing to learn because if i really went back to like before my uh before my marriage and like my first experiences with dating i was under a lot of um like self imposed rules like okay i i don't want to use apps and this person must be like this and like this and like this i'm sure you have like your own list of my partner must have all these traits. And to tell you the truth, I was actually, um, I hardly had a list <laughs> like the first time around. Um, because, and what I can see now in hindsight was that my the messages I was getting was that I should be thankful for anyone. That was really what I grew up with. And and somehow it's like, um, and, and this is also well to hear from you and what I want to talk about. I kept being told that I was not the ideal um, like wife material or I wasn't the ideal girlfriend material. Like I was either too outspoken or I had like very unusual opinions in terms of, you know, like I believe no one should be ashamed about sexuality. And of course, in your line of work, you definitely have the attitude as well. But I just didn't believe like you had to be this kind of like innocent <laughs> um, 
innocent virgin who just goes along with what your 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 partner wants all the time like you should at least kind of know what you like you should at least have certain standards so in a strange way like kind of um my first time round dating and being in a certain dating pool and being an asian woman i i just i really struggled with all these expectations um because they worried me and yet the messaging was also that can you at least act innocent or can you at least act more submissive um so that you will um you don't scare all your prospects away so that was my experience during my um during my 20s so it 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 kind of almost like primed me and prepared me in such a way that yeah i i was very afraid of looking at red flags i was very afraid of um calling certain things out about my partners so much so that you are just almost like thankful that you find someone who commits to you um yeah that was that was that was my first time round and i and what i was kind of happy with was that when i started dating again and this was around uh 2018 2019 right before the pandemic right um i i knew i was a very different person and i just like the whole um submissive asian female stereotype especially for you know um straight heterosexual women i was definitely less willing to play uh with that the second time round for me yeah i, I... I agree with you. So many things uh, resonate with me. I'm taking notes. So I want to say that uh, I also did that. I also had all these self-imposed uh, rules, and uh, we kind of fall into the narrative of how we should be as a good uh, Asian women. And um, I just really didn't have a voice, and I didn't have I didn't have my own personality. I didn't come into my uh, own person and confidence. So I think because of that, you know what you said, um, not really uh, with this innocent virgin. I think I intentionally uh, w- wanted to be that innocent virgin, and I also intentionally played that role of um, submission, uh, so that I can get a person like you mentioned. And really, is is I mean, you know, on hindsight, like so silly uh, because of obviously it's not sustainable. Um, mm. But we also wasn't intentional because it was all imposed on us for so yeah. long, um, for so long, and also it was so subtle, and we just kind of like pick up things that we don't even realize um, it's not what uh, it's not who we are and what what uh, will work um, because of the lack of experience, and uh, so it's only natural. And we need to be compassionate and forgiving of ourselves that we just didn't know better. We didn't intentionally uh, do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I guess one of the things I was curious about because I try to remember, like you know, before I started dating my twenties. Of course, we go through our teenage years here in Singapore, and now i have a daughter who is actually at that age where they're trying to do uh where she's actually been through one round of the kind of like the sexual reproduction 
a syllabus and where it's kind of like the basics. And then I know that somehow in secondary school, um, they're gonna do get gonna do this again. So they've in so just as a contrast, I know that the kids now are actually getting it more like having these things taught to them in class more than once. And it's also earlier than somehow I I don't know. I draw a blank during um about what happened during my my secondary school years here. But I remember I actually went through a girls' school. And somehow in a girls' school, um, you are with, you are around your own kind more, right? <laughs> At least for me, like you're around your own kind more. So in, a, in some ways, we had no, um, we were not shy talking about sex. So we were not shy talking about sexuality. We were not shy talking about our crushes from TV and everything. So in a way, I realized that actually a lot of my social attitudes, a lot of, um, you know, the way I felt about, like sexuality was also it was probably more informed by my friends from girls school than any of the school syllabus so in a strange way also i think all of us for some reason we were really affected by the media um and then if i think about what was on tv at the time that we were in girls school it would have been beverly hills 90210 there was a pretty woman a uh, movie which as a school we actually went to go and watch like there were actually like bus loads of classes going to watch it but I don't know whether all of these things were good influences because this was I think the early to mid 90s and there was still you know it's it's kind of like yeah they actually acknowledged sex so you had teenagers or people in those movies having sex but there's it's for me, I saw it almost like a, a power tool. Like you have to use this to seduce men. Or if you're the evil character or you're the slutty character, let's let's be very honest. Um it's it's like somehow the evil characters or the characters who were less um inhibited were the ones that were not good role models. So I feel that in terms of like when we when we internalize that, oh, actually the good characters are virginal or the good characters like don't want that. That was actually a lot of where we learned it. But of course, the attitudes from our teachers and, and parents, I think they, they definitely influenced all of us. I could see how we were still very conservative uh, and the media was quite conservative. I don't like, did we go to school around the same time? <laughs> What was your experience? Yeah, yeah, we are the same. We're around the same age. So I want to say, regardless of uh, what race, nationality, there is definitely a lot of media censorship and policing going around because mm -hmm. the media is a big influence of the way we think, feel, and believe. And so this, uh, of course, all societies want people to be like, for in life, behave do well financially uh, and Conform, so that you pay your yeah. taxes, conformity. So it's really about uh, uh, governing uh, citizens. So when it comes to the policing around our sexuality, the moralization around it, what it does, it, it doesn't allow us to uh, feel free and open and confident and expressive. So we need to grow ourselves, reparent ourselves, uh, whether it comes from um, like the way we relate with people and also the way we think of uh, sexuality. So clients coming in to me, 
with all kinds of different messages around their sexuality and um, stating their opinions as a fact. I think that is uh, something that we need to be mindful of. Uh, everybody is on a different journey, um, but it's really important for us to start questioning um, the role of media, the kind of sexuality education we had or did not have, and uh, what we can do to um, really grow ourselves. Um, and so many people get stuck in, um, oh, I don't know what to do. This is how it is. A lot of people complain, point to the government, their culture, their parents, religion. Uh, I remember distinctly uh, as my clients struggle with their sexuality, they became so angry towards their parents. And uh, anger is a way of protecting ourselves. It's a way of uh, playing victim. But I think it's really important to just move past it as well. And uh, so I'm, I'm glad that I'm in a position where I can support people to grow into themselves and to let go of things that doesn't serve them. So I, I think uh, also another thing around sexuality education is that, um, that I mean, I really didn't have much of it. And I'm, I'm very fortunate that I have maybe small glimpses of what a positive and uh, um, the importance of sex uh, in, um, in, in relationships. Uh, so even though I didn't get a lot of education, um, I did think of and anticipate a future where I, I grow up and uh, am, be, am sexual and it's going to be amazing and it's going to be good. Um, yeah, so I think that formed my um, curiosity and uh, desire to learn more as opposed to a lot of my friends who uh, it was just fear-based. And because mm. of the fear and the lack of practice and confidence and knowledge, uh, it actually never really got better for them. Right. How yeah. about yourself? Um, I, I, I like where we're talking about right now because if I really go, kind of go back in time, it's, as you said, um, we have we take a lot of influences from around us, whether it's our parents, our educators, or our friends. So actually, I have to say, like, in terms of my upbringing, it was a bit unusual as well, because I felt as if one parent was very afraid of the topic, and then the other one kind of like almost went in the other direction. So I, so, so in terms of like, even my own exposure, I feel as if I was probably more exposed um, than most people by a certain age and maybe not and, and no actually I have to say probably not all of it was healthy um, um, so in, in terms of like I was already less I hate to use the word but I was less prudish I was less fearful of the topic and maybe because I as a you know someone who was like practicing art and really interested in looking at art do you know how many naked woman paintings there are that are considered classical art? So in that sense also, um, I was less shy about like the human body. Like, I don't understand, even amongst my own peers, like, okay, if my mom is very squeamish about, you know, the naked body, maybe it's a generational thing. That's how I kind of like rationalize what I saw from my parents, or at least from one parent. Um, but then the other parent also had, uh, certain materials around the house, which I I think I was exposed to too young. So, but one effect on me was that I was really not squeamish with the topic. I was not very squeamish with um, kind of like nudity the way my my friends were as well because I saw it in paintings all the time. Um, 
so by the time I went to girls' school, and then you, I was in that crowd of people where they were very enthusiastically like sharing gossip, like, oh, can you get, I don't know whether you had these conversations, but oh, do you think you can get pregnant, like sitting on the toilet if some, if there was a guy using it first, you know, we were still talking about sperm and egg, but we were still grappling with how easy or not it was to get pregnant and therefore telling all these like scare stories. And the weird thing is those scare stories that my, um, my classmates and schoolmates were talking about, I also knew like I couldn't go to my own parents with, with those kinds of questions. So um, my lucky break in a strange way on the topic of sexuality was the fact that I actually found a book for myself that was really written for teen girls explaining all these things. So again, I had, I wasn't shy about it anymore. And in, in many ways, I think I probably uh, knew more than like my friends after that book. And I probably knew more than my own parents as well. So that was how I, yeah, I, I lost my fear around the topic. And I'm actually curious, like, how did you even know you were going to be a sexologist? Like, you chose your path, I think, quite early compared to, I don't know, I was, <laughs> like, for the longest time, I didn't know what I was going to do. But you you seem to know. Um, yeah, um... It was uh, unfolding as well. I didn't. I didn't know immediately. The first ten years of my career, uh, I was in corporate communications. Then, when I got my um, first big heartbreak through the divorce, I had to uh, find myself, and uh, that was when I realized my life calling is to support people, and uh, I really wanted to support people around the aspect of their sexuality. So I went and got the training. And I decided to come back, start my practice. Um, I was really uh, uh, pushed to do it because I was really unhappy with how the lack of sex education was doing a number on all the women that I was uh, seeing around me. All my friends were having difficulties around their sex life. They were afraid. They were having pain. They were having phobias around their sexuality. And I was like, um, no, I want to... Uh, put my stick in the sand and say I'm here to support people around their sexuality. And in order to do that, I needed to get the knowledge for myself. So really, um, that's how it started, like, you know, about 15 years ago. And yeah, when I started, people were very negative about it and making fun of me. And uh, uh, I still get uh, mocked at and uh, harassed. Um, but it's been worthwhile because I get to support a lot of people um, and I do see the transformation uh, in the lives of my clients. Yeah. Okay, so we have a break and I will be back after this break. Home Times TV. Imagine becoming a super influencer. Reinvent yourself, invest in your brand, and then manifest your success with a robust, spheric approach. Ohm Times Media and Broadcasting offers a unique and multifaceted way to become the spiritual and conscious influencer you deserve to be by putting your message across our powerful platform with its proven record of integrity and excellence. Through our produced shows, Ohm Times offers the opportunity to become a social media TV personality, a radio show host, an Ohm Times magazine columnist, and a syndicated podcaster, all in one shot. 
by live streaming your show on Ohm Times TV and broadcasting it across the extensive Ohm Times radio and TV networks. You become more than a host. You become an ambassador and a force for positive change. Ohm Times. Open yourself to the possibilities. If I could be you, you could be me for just one hour. If we could find a way to get inside each other's minds. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. Well, before you abuse, criticize and accuse. Walk a mile in my shoes. Hi everyone, we are back and today we're talking about female sexuality without shame. I'm with my friend uh, Janet Chui and uh, she is uh, so many things. Uh, she's uh, studying uh, counseling psychology and freelances in publishing art and teaching. You can find her at JanetTui.com. So she can actually do, uh, um, she's a spiritual guide. So she can actually guide you around your uh, uh, different aspects, different challenges of your life. Uh, being a divorced uh, single mom now and uh, both of us just was chatting uh, before the break about uh, how um, it has been being divorced and uh, the blocks around dating that we experienced and uh, what led to us I guess living in uh, having lived in a bubble uh, because of the lack of sexuality education and um, a lot of uh, government censorship uh, policing um, the sexuality of people, um, where you are punished if you are sexually promiscuous and um, how this uh, shame uh, perpetuates in so many levels. And uh, so, yeah, coming back uh, from break, I want to share this uh, little story. It's so silly, but um, um, it's, it's a very true story. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, and I was watching uh, drama serials, whether it's Korean or Chinese uh, drama serials. A lot of times when the young maiden would get married, suddenly the next day she'll wake up with like a strange hairdo. And a lot of times uh, they would look a lot less attractive from when they were uh, young before marriage. Uh, maiden, from maiden to uh, woman, I guess, and mother. And so they, they just have all these like strange, ugly looking hairstyles and they look ugly, uglier, they look dowdy. And so I, I asked my mom, like, what happened? What happened to this character? Like, why, why does she have a different hairstyle? And my mom said, oh yeah, that's cause she's married. So I always had this idea like, yeah, my mom has pretty ugly hair. Like she perms her hair and it just looks old and dowdy. And so I thought, oh my God, when I get married, I guess that's what I have to go down that road. I just have to... Uh, have a new hairstyle and I start to look really like dowdy. So the day after I, I I got married, I don't know why, for some reason in my head, I thought I would grow up, I would wake up with like this strange hairstyle. And I was relieved when I grew, when I woke up that my hair didn't change. It's so silly to think about it, but um, that's kind of like this metamorphosis of feeling that marriage is not where you become a bigger person and you become the best version of yourself, but you actually saw yourself compromising and becoming a lesser of who you are and who you can be. And I had 
several certain things um with my husband at that time uh putting me down and making me feel like yeah that's what i'm supposed to doing i'm not supposed to shine i'm supposed to let him shine i'm supposed to support him i'm not supposed to question things and i'm just supposed to get along and just play happy and play nice and um it just didn't work after some time yeah. so how was it for you janet uh love for you to maybe debunk some of these uh, misconceptions around uh, divorce and marriage my goodness like your story actually reminded me of how um some of the things i i grew up hearing were along the lines of you know like once a man snags like a very attractive woman for their wife then like the, the, it will all go downhill from there and this this was what i would hear like the my my the the, the grown-up uncles and whatever talking about like oh men um women get fat after they get married like they don't have to take care of their <clears throat> they don't have to take care of their appearances anymore and so they let themselves go so in a very strange it was kind of um of course now i i do not like those remarks because it it, it very much was like putting um the entire worth of a woman on how she looks on her weight on how well she maintains herself and then everybody kind of had this half expectation that when you get married yeah it's really downhill from here like you don't have to look attractive anymore and therefore the so-called bad wife is the one that you know lets herself get fat or lets herself get ugly and all these kinds of things so like um i remember i don't know why i was overhearing so many of these things from you know, you know, the adults around me when I was growing up. But the, the messaging was also that, you know, if you want to keep your husband uh, after you get married, you better stay slim. You better stay uh, attractive. You better stay submissive. And, you know, if if he cheats or he starts to pay other women attention, it must be the wife's fault. Like, I remember kind of like um, hearing these conversations with the adults, so to speak, so much so that, I I really believe like, yeah, it was subconscious, like it really seeped into me. And I think I had a lot of the same um, beliefs in my own marriage as well. So that was something that was like, um, I feel quite unfortunate. Um, one more th I can also <laughs> share my own story about hair in a very strange way, because when I was in South Korea for a holiday together with my daughter, um, the tour guide for our group was actually very confused. He was like, why haven't you cut your hair? I'm like, why, why should I cut my hair? It's like, you have a daughter, so obviously you're married. So over here, you know, married women cut their hair so that it's, it's around this height. And it's only the single women who have long hair. So I was like, I had never heard this before, but obviously, you know, this was something you actually saw in, the, in your programs as well. But it's the, the conformity and, you know, the signaling we're expected to do like, you know, if we are available, we have to look like this, we act like this. And even after we are not available, we are taken, uh, we're married, we are still expected to act a certain way in order to keep the marriage intact. And it's very superficial things like our looks, as opposed to, you know, the, the stronger foundations that I feel like you actually need in a marriage. So, um yeah, unfortunately, you know, this this was the messaging. Like, after you, you told your story, I was like, Oh, I remember this other parts about how, what I thought adult marriage was. And unfortunately, you know, the two of us, I think if we can say, um, reality was very different from the things that we learned. Yeah. yeah, it's a little bit like what uh, it's a little, it's a little bit like playhouse. You know, we are playing house, 
uh, pretending like this is uh, all the things, all the right things to do and feel. So uh, we are debunking some myths around marriage. And uh, I think a lot of people struggle because of the lack of sexuality education, because sexuality education is not just about the act of sex. It's really about relational skills as well. And uh, if we don't uh, have the best of modeling from our parents, then um, often we are, we are just left um, pretty much uh, to our own devices and to learn through trial and error. And uh, so like I was mentioning just now, we do need to have compassion for ourselves, to have patience. And um, I think this is the why it's really important to have conversations with people and also to have podcasts like this talking about how it's all okay. It's really, really okay. Whatever is in the past can be in the past. So I really want to also uh, ask uh, Janet, um, how did you move on, you know, um, you know, things, uh, basically the, the cookie crumbles, uh, the bubble burst, and um, we kind of had this reality check and the marriage was just not working and we needed to get a divorce. So having been divorced, um, we kind of uh, waffled through all this already. Uh, how did uh, you move on, heal yourself and um, led to the relationship that you are now? Okay. So I think this is almost where the topic of shame is a is a good one to bring up because I feel like, uh, you know, it's another, like divorce or a relationship breaking down is another one of those like shame, um, shame-based topics. Like people don't want to talk about, people don't want to admit that a relationship they, they, they were in failed or broke down. Like we don't, that, you know, some of these things are taboo, right? So there seems to be this, um, if you have to talk about divorce, people want to talk about who to blame. And I don't know, like, again, having been through it, you are not, after a while, at least for me, there was a stage I wasn't interested in blame. I just wanted to be free again. I just wanted to be happy again. And I feel that with all these topics, self-compassion and compassion in general is just, such a huge thing like we need to acknowledge when we are suffering we need to acknowledge when um you know maybe some things you need to kind of air out you have to verbalize you have to ventilate you have to like get more learning um in order to fix it so you cannot you cannot shy away from the topic of sex or you cannot shy away from the topic of sexuality or you cannot shy away from like why the marriage broke down so if you actually kind of like i don't know in in, in many ways, you have to remove all the onlookers and the imaginary audience in your head that is judging you. Um, you have to somehow find the, uh, a safe space or the counsellor or, or, or that kind of like safe friend where you can talk um, about these so-called taboo topics with. And it is true that like self-examination, I actually want this in a marriage or actually need this in a marriage or actually need this in my relationship and I'm not getting it, um, the, the shame becomes not so important because you just realize actually everybody wants to be happy or everybody might need like the same things from their relationship. So even though I know that like among Chinese families or Chinese culture, like divorce is so terrible or so shameful that you know you even see couples that if they don't work or it's a very abusive uh, relationship it's divorce is so shameful that they'll stay in it but for myself i i think the self-love and the self-compassion really was uh, my way out and i could 
and and even in the counseling in the couples counseling i was like no you can't blame any one person for something breaking down there's like equal responsibility on both parties and if you are if you can be honest enough and um kind of like have enough integrity to go yeah my fault was this one uh but I don't know how to fix it anymore or I couldn't have done better because I did the best with what I knew or whatever it was at the time. But now I, I actually want something different. Um, then there shouldn't be any shame there. So that's how I, by the time, you know, kind of the divorce came through, it was a huge relief. So I, that was my experience. And I, and I have heard kind of different stories <laughs> when I was dating by the time you start dating in your 30s and 40s like you actually start seeing other people with also their own experiences like we we collected all these experiences and we start comparing so in a very strange way I suppose I'm, I'm moving on very quickly is that when I went from divorce back into dating but I did take a few years break um, it was to almost like integrate all my experiences I had to understand why things fell apart. I had to understand, um, you know, first time round, um, where my lack of understanding was, where my lack of almost like my, not say lack of identity, but I didn't know what I needed well enough the first time so that you you go into your, your you know, your first marriage, you go into marriage a bit blind. You just think that if I submit, if I make the other person happy, if I stay, if I stay attractive and I do all the things right you know the the superficial things correctly then it shouldn't fall apart but after it fell apart of course you have to do your almost like your forensic you know csi stuff of um where it went wrong and i think i i spent that time well that by the time i went back into dating i was a lot more self-compassionate um and, and I was also, in a strange way, less willing to compromise um, on certain things. I, I didn't want to repeat certain things from the first time. So yeah. that's where, yeah, that's where I was. <laughs> that's where I was in about, like, 2018. Like, okay, uh, there's, there's certain things I won't tolerate again. And in a, in a strange way, um, you know, with the internet, having a lot of uh, resources on on the topic um, that I feel weren't around the first time around. Like you, people get more educated on things like red flags, uh, boundaries, um, and there's also less stigma, at least by this age, right? There's also less stigma about, you know, kind of like taking your partner for a test drive, so to speak, right? Before you you jump into the committed relationship, like there was less stigma now around sex before marriage. Yeah, agree. Yeah, yeah. Um, the world that we lived in has changed because I think originally when we first, um, of that generation, whether society is evolving, is that um. Uh, we were looking it through the lenses of somebody who had a very small life. And as we got older, we realized through um, knowing more people, through learning about more people's stories, that there actually doesn't need to be that shame around divorce. If you uh, have had divorce in your family, then of course, it's less of a stigma, even though uh, nobody actually goes into marriage thinking that they'll have a divorce. But actually, the lack of conversations around divorce actually contributes to the shame. 
So I wrote down uh, several things. Uh, I like what you said about um, equal responsibility for the failure of the uh, breaking down of the marriage. And uh, I think what it's really important is I think a lot of people take, uh, tend to take on over responsibility. So having compassion, having uh, this ability to say, I deserve better. I, I don't need to be doing this. I don't need to be rehashing it. I don't need to be dead, uh, beating a dead horse. I think it's really, really important. So what you mentioned, like going for counseling, uh, maybe for listeners to consider like going into support groups, finding people who are going through a similar situation and um, uh, getting the kind of reassurance that uh, you didn't do something uh, that is wrong per se. And um, some and um, what you mentioned, like learning from it, uh, let off, like what what is it that I could do better uh, for myself and also for future relationships. So at this point, I want to just share like a short story. So because I had so much shame around uh, divorce and, um, you know, they say the law of attraction, you attract what exactly you need to hear. So what happened was I, I did feel like uh, used goods because I was the only person that I knew was divorced other than one other person who was around my age because I got married so young. I was 21 when I first got married. And so I knew nobody who actually got married so early uh, in my circle, uh, except for one person. And so what happened was because I had all this shame around around uh, being divorced. So uh, very quickly, the first person that I actually chatted with online um, with the potential of going to a relationship, he rejected me immediately on the basis that I got a divorce and nobody, um, he doesn't want someone to give up. Uh, don't, doesn't want to be in a relationship with someone who would give up. And um, um further emphasize the whole thing around my own shame around um, being used goods. So what happened was there and then I made that vow. You haven't heard my story. You don't know what happened. But if you had heard my story, I don't think you would judge me to the extent that you are judging me now. And nobody deserves to be judged to the extent that you just judge me. And so I'm not going to let myself put out with this kind of nonsense anymore. Even if somebody were to judge me again, um, I'm not going to let that affect me anymore. And so what happened subsequently <laughs> from that uh, vow that I created for myself uh, was that I was very surprised ever since that day of the pretty like traumatic experience where this person was shaming me for being divorced. Um, I didn't get any more shame after that. And for many years, I was shaming myself, didn't go to Chinese New Year, didn't want my, all my relatives asking about my marital status and feeling like a failure and loser. And it turns out that when I had a conversation with my auntie, she actually said the family missed me and um, there was no shame whatsoever. You know, I had projected, you know, just by watching a drama series again, that I would be considered less than when in reality, nobody in the family actually felt that. So my bigger extended family was much more educated and much more accepting than I was of myself. And I never really gave them a chance to welcome me back into the family um, and really connect with them uh, during Chinese New Year's. For, for many years, like a good 10 years, I actually avoided Chinese New Year thinking that they didn't like me. They wouldn't, they would by asking too many questions. They wouldn't respect my boundaries, but it was, uh, it was, it was definitely not true. So uh, I just want to, I just want to, so many things that I'm writing down. So this whole, this whole story about refusing to be shamed. And also another tip for listeners out there is that uh, 
so I'm going to just uh, do a bit of summary. Summary. So let go of over responsibility. Be patient with yourself. Be compassionate. Uh, go and get a support. Uh, whether it's counseling, support group, people who are like you, um, people who will build you up, and also make the decision to not be shamed. And uh, another thing I wanted to say is um, that it's really important to also feel that you don't need to relive your story, don't need to rehash your story. People ask you about why you got a divorce out of curiosity. You do not need to entertain them. You do not need them and their approval to validate your reason for getting divorced. You don't even need to share your story because your life is your life. So it took me a long time because nobody coached me about how to figure out how to answer when people said, you know, in, in a party or some like in like inappropriate place, uh, strangers asking you like, why do you get a divorce? So over time and practice, uh, this is what I developed. Like I came up with these scripts, and so I'm going to share these scripts with you. Uh, one of it is, uh, I'd love to share this story with you one day uh, when I know you better. I'd love to share mm -hmm. this story with you uh, down the road uh, at a at a later time because I don't feel like the time. Like this is a good place to talk about it. You can also share like um, uh, it's a long story, but I just want to know. I just want you to know that uh, I'm doing fine, because people ask out of concern as well, and all they need to hear from you is that you're fine. They don't actually need. In fact, they're relieved to not have to hear your story. So the shorter your story, the better it is. You can say things like, "I was young." You don't have to go into the whole story. You really mm. don't have to go into all the details it's tiring on them and also you need to you need to let yourself know that you do not want to relive that experience and you do not want to necessarily re-traumatize yourself because over the many 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 years um i i did get um very upset you know as i shared the story because of their reaction you know their reaction made me upset or their response made me upset. It wasn't a story anymore. It was their, their reaction. And maybe I don't want to go through that. I don't need their approval. So it's really important to be gentle with yourself, to not uh, share the story. And then there came a point in my life where it was okay to share. And, and I noticed that my story started to become less and less and less and smaller and smaller because um, I can talk about it without getting upset anymore as well. Mm. So what about yourself, Janet? Um, I'm I'm like you, but I think um, the the therapy really helped me in terms of you know by the time it happened, I I almost had like a one sentence like I could give someone that one sentence and it would tell them enough. And of course, as you say, if you want to share the full <laughs> version, you know you have to wait for that person to you have to wait for that person to get closer to you. But I think my my one sentence was something um, like. Oh, it, it was just, I was carrying a lot of it and until I couldn't carry it all by myself anymore. So that was like my one sentence because for me, <laughs> it was just too much work on myself. Mm -hmm. So one thing I kind of feel like in, in my experience, even studying counselling and looking at the people who go into counselling, there is, it's so over, like women are so overrepresented um, in that industry where because like, we care. I think some of it is because we were raised to almost like bear the burden of everyone's feelings, right? It's like relationships going well, the, 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 the woman repairs it or the woman tries to repair it. She has to do something to like please the other people. So 
the thing is like the funny thing is once you go into learning about therapy or learning about counseling you actually know about boundaries and that's almost like what saves us like we stop taking too much upon ourselves so even within um i think dating i feel like a lot of like women again go into it thinking of how they need to please the other person but we need to like sometimes step back and go wait the other person also needs to please me like is this person giving me what i need what i want like am is this going to make me happy or you know it shouldn't just be like the woman making the uh, the, the partner happy and i think we have to like break out of it um we have to break out that thinking um and that's really what helped me <clears throat> during the whole dating process of i'm not the only one being vetted and judged actually i am also entitled and fully within my rights um to see who is right for me which means i also have to use my discernment on whoever i'm seeing and what i'm sharing with them so it's like yeah i i i use my one sentence um story for my divorce a lot but sometimes you get into other people who are also very willing to share and be vulnerable about their past relationships so if you find that person actually Oh my goodness, the conversations get very long because you you suddenly feel as if you found someone else who doesn't have any shame about their past. And that is a for me very gratifying. Yeah. Uh thank you for all that. So I I also want to like further expound on the what you mentioned like um we we learn from all these things and this becomes part of our story, it becomes part of our life and it's also part of our wisdom. You 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 learn from li- having lived through it. And um, I really believe in forgiving, forgiving yourself, forgiving your partner, but also not forgetting, not forgetting the lessons that we need to learn. So when it comes to dating, uh, I want to uh, say a dating advice, uh, not to overshare, as, especially for the start, to uh, create safety for yourself, uh, emotional safety, like I mentioned, like not not uh, not relieving it, not re-traumatizing it. There's a lot of uh, people out there who are looking for casual and fun and basically like uh, totally um, not not wanting to go into a relationship because out of fear. So do what you need, take care of yourself, uh, brush out on your um, safer sex practices, uh, learn more about sexuality online and um, really um, get support and coaching uh, around uh, dating as well. So uh, we have to end the show. I'm so sorry, oh, Janet. No. Um, yeah, it's, it's so it's, much it's fun really, today. Yeah. I know it's really uh, went all away, uh, you know, it's really like gone gone uh, um, very fast. So uh, please check out Janet's website. That's JanetChui.com. And uh, you can follow her on Instagram and Facebook as well. So thank you so much, Janet, for such an insightful, you, uh, interesting Dr. conversation. Marissa. Yeah, thank you for coming. And um, do stay tuned to Eros Evolution next week. Bye. Thank you.